0: All right. first of all I have to apologize. I'm speaking right in the middle of football season and as most of you know I am a football coach and my team has not won a game and here I am trying to prepare a sermon or a talk to you guys and so I decided to do it on winning because I haven't won a game. The, bad, the, the worst part about it is this week, we're going to play Kickapoo Nations up in Powhatan, and we had a great chance of winning. We have eight guys, they have ten, so we're kind of in the same ballpark there, and uh, they canceled on us. So, you know, I just went ahead and counted it as a win, and we're going on. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's, there's one of the few chances we have to win this season, but... Uh, we're going to keep plugging away. So I'm just going to ask for your forgiveness before I start because there's lots of football analogies, and I'm going to talk a lot about football, so just bear with me. You'll know how my wife feels for three months out of the year. First of all, I want to start off with a football illustration, and it goes back to college. And So when I in junior high and high school, in my first year of college, I played on great football teams. Never lost more than two games in a season. And so I enjoyed that aspect of football, the winning side of it. Well, then I showed up at Mid-American Nazarene, and in four years, we won five games. You can do the math there. That's 1.25 wins per year. It's not very many. We were 5 and 35. That number will forever be ingrained in my mind, 5 and 35. And I learned to hate. To lose, I really did. And I tell my kids that all the time. You really do. You have to hate to lose in anything in life. You have to strive to win at whatever you do. But we're going to go back to Mid-America to our very last win. It was homecoming. Mid-America had not won a homecoming since whenever. Maybe since the beginning of the program. I don't know. It had been a long time. But before I even get to that game, I have to go even further back to my first year there when our prize recruit came to practice. Our prize recruit, his name was Glenn Shoup. He was a transfer from Michigan State. Okay, so we're talking big time football, Michigan State. Glenn Shoup is five, two 265 pounds. He had the biggest scholarship in america ever offered anybody. And this guy was just built up like you can't believe. Well, he shows up the first day of practice, and he is 6'5", and he is 265 but he doesn't quite look like the football player you'd imagine. And we don't know exactly how it happened, but the coach that left before, I think he was trying to save his job, and he really built this recruit up. He was a pastor's son from Michigan who had actually walked on at Michigan State, and he didn't actually make it through the year because they had said, we don't need you here at Michigan State. He didn't even play high school football. We found out later. So here our prize tight end in comes into practice, and he was awful i mean you cannot even imagine we laughed about it in our dorm rooms after practice we would just laugh he couldn't i mean literally he couldn't catch my son sam who's two can catch about as good as Glenn Shoup could catch he couldn't run and I'm, I'm saying all this i want you to know Glenn Shoup ended up being a good friend and he actually was my roommate later on in college so i can say all this because i told him the same stuff but he really was bad and he became kind of a joke because we talked talking about all the scholarship money he's using that we could have been out getting some real players. But by golly, Glenn Shoup stuck with it, and he played all four years. And we come down to our last game, and he, he didn't play very much. He, he became our blocking tight end, and he played very little, but he did get in the game. I mean, you got to give the guy credit for sticking it out. I mean, he took more harassment than anyone I've ever seen, but he stuck it out. And here we are are there's three games left in the season. It's homecoming, middle of October. Beautiful, beautiful football weather. And the score is tied 28-28. And homecoming at Mid-America is a big deal. I mean, lots of people are there. I mean, it's a big crowd, beautiful day, and it's pretty exciting. We get the ball back with with, uh, five minutes to go, 28-28, and we start driving down the field. And we get down inside the 10-yard line, and we get stopped at fourth and two. It is fourth and two, so we haven't got stopped yet. There's less than two minutes to go in the game, and our field goal kicker is about as bad as Glenn Shoop, so we decide not to kick a field goal. We decide to go for it. And forgive me, I'm being kind of rude here, but anyway, we call timeout. We go to the sidelines, we huddle up, and I didn't even realize Glenn was in the game at this point, but he was. And we call a 38 bootleg cross. Okay, what's happening is I'm faking to the running back, and I roll out that way, and one tight end goes here to the corner of the end zone, and the other one drags along the back of the end zone. Well, normally you hit the tight end right over here, who's Pedro Ibarra, and Pedro's a good player. He was a good tight end, and in my mind I'm thinking I've got to hit Pedro here. He's going to be wide open right there. Well, after I make the fake and I'm rolling out, which happened a lot at Mid-America, we missed a block over here. So I'm in scrambling now, and I get away from one tackle, and as I'm coming out, I see this big blue 85 in the back of the end zone. And if I'd have had five minutes to think about it, I'd have realized that's Glenn Shoup, don't throw him the ball. <laughs> but I didn't have time. I threw the ball, and you, you've just got to imagine this. It hits him in the chest, his arms flap around it like this, and just as he catches it, he just gets leveled by a linebacker coming from the inside, and just, you could see his head do this, and he hits the ground right, and I was I was getting tackled as I threw it. And so I'm watching this from the ground, and I think he's dropped it. Oh, great, he dropped it, and I see the referee's hands go up, and Glenn Shoup won the game. He caught the game-winning pass, and I don't care if it was by accident. He <laughs> caught it, and we won. But this guy, Glenn Shoup, is just, I mean even now he is he's a highly successful man and you just you have to know this guy he could persevere through anything he took more harassment but three things that i see in is number one he was bold and courageous because you know a lot of people would have quit if they showed up and they were that bad and people verbally abused the guy and he withstood it he had courage and was bold number two he didn't just go through the motions he strove to make himself better, and he eventually was playing for us, and he eventually won our very last game that we won at Mid-America, the homecoming game, the first homecoming game we had won in years. And the celebration was, in, I mean, we were jumping on this guy, I mean, the big dog pile in the end zone. Glenn Shoup was now our hero. He won the game for us. I mean, it's, it's, incredible. it's incredible. It's amazing what winning can do for your... Self-esteem, I guess. For the esteem of a, of a football team, especially. And before I continue on winning, I have to go to losing. Because that's where it all starts. And see, we live in a world that is a world full of failure and sin. Because we live in a fallen world. In Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, has sinned every one of us has failed at one point or another in our lives and we will fail again most likely even our heroes in this world are failures i started thinking about this week you know baseball players if they hit the ball 30 percent of the time they're the best ones think about that they're up 10 times they hit it three and they're the heroes they're the ones that do a good job then you think about people like Randy Moss. Does anyone know who Randy Moss is? He's a wide receiver for Minnesota. He's six foot, whatever, great athlete, unbelievable football player. Well, this week, I think he got arrested twice, or I can't remember. At least, at least twice. He had marijuana in his car. He, I mean, just, I mean, you you look at these people that we make into heroes, and they are failures. Even when we go to the Bible, you talk about Peter, the rock. He was the one that's going to stand by Jesus no matter what. He's going to stand next to you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me before the night's over? No, I won't. Well, guess what? He did. He failed, too. He was the rock. He's the rock of our church. And he failed. Talk about David, who I talked about last time I spoke. Think of my dumb, dumb things he did. We're... We live in a fallen, sinful world. But praise God that we have an opportunity to be winners anyway. Romans 5, 7 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So even in this fallen, sinful world, we can still be winners. We can still be winners in this fallen world, where even our heroes tend to be failures. Isaiah, in his commission, I just, I, I just love this, this whole thing here. I've, I've read it so many times in my life, and I, just, I love reading it because it's just the, the awe that, that Isaiah had to experience here. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated at the throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Their whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I mean, just think of that scene. Just think of that scene, how awesome that had to be. And Isaiah calls out, "'Woe to me!' "'Woe to me!' I cried. "'I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, "'and I live among a people of unclean lips.'" And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That's us. Woe to us! We are people of unclean lips, and we live among a people of unclean lips. There's our fallen world. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my lips and said, See! This has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. That happened when Jesus Christ died for us. His blood has taken our guilt away, and our sins are atoned for, so that we can be like Isaiah and go on to be great men of God. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. That scares me to, to even think about saying that because I may end up like Sir juke or whatever his name, what was his name? Sue Jerk Jukemore. The, the guy, yeah, Jukemore, that's it. <laughs> Something like that. Sounds like a good football player. Because when you stand before God and you say, here I am, send me, send me, that's bold, that's courageous, because you don't know where he's going to send you. But to be willing, to be willing to say that is something else. And to be a winner in this world, first of all, we must be bold and we must be courageous. We must be able to stand in front of all the people that we know and say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Think about Peter when he's in the boat. And that night that Jesus is walking on the water, all the rest of the disciples stayed in the boat. And a lot of times we pick on Peter because he took his eyes off Christ and he sank into the water and he had to save him. But how many of us would have been bold enough to step out of the boat onto the water to walk to Jesus? How many of us have been that bold and that courageous to do that? That's the first step to becoming a winner. That's why Peter ended up being the rock of the church because he was bold and he was courageous. Think of Joshua and Caleb. Twelve spies go in. Ten of them come back and say, forget it. They are huge. There's no way we can defeat them. Joshua and Caleb stand up with boldness and courage and they say, yes, we can, because God is on our side. Yes, they are big. Yes, they, they probably could defeat us if we didn't have God on our side. But we do, and that's our land that God promised us. So with courage and boldness, they were blessed. And God's people went in because of jo- Joseph, or J- Joshua and Caleb. The second part to being a winner for Christ is that you must strive to win. Because you will still fail, and you must strive. And this, you may have heard this, I know it's a cliche, but you can't go through the motions. You guys may have heard that a hundred times, but I guarantee I heard it more. Because every football practice and throughout my life, my dad yelled that at me. I remember one practice in particular, now don't turn him into SRS please, because he doesn't do this anymore. I'm, I'm kind of just kind of halfway going through practice, and I'm a senior, and I think I dropped a couple snaps. I can't remember exactly, but just wasn't, wasn't doing my best. And next thing I know, I'm getting kicked right in my tail pad. He'd come running up behind, and he kicked me right in the tail pad, and started screaming, quick, going through the motions, the way the football coach would, right in my face. And I'll tell you what, after that, I didn't go through the motions. I got, I got kind of worked up and started practicing a little harder. But, but that saying, I mean, think how many Christians that you know. Think how many churches that you know that just go through the motions. I do it myself. I, I dread these mornings. I have to come here and talk because I have to prepare all week for this. I have to prepare Sunday morning. I have to be nervous, and I have to make sure that I'm ready to talk to you. I like the Sunday mornings where I can sleep in. Well, as much as you can with three kids. But sleep in, read the paper, drink some coffee. Oh, honey, it's 10 o'clock. We're going to be late again. Let's go. And we show up. And we show up to church. I love what Sean said last week. Prepare your hearts and your minds. Don't just go through the motions. Don't go through the motions at work or wherever you're at. Live your life for Christ all the time with all that you have. Paul in a couple of different places, in Colossians. He tells us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. And then he tells us, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Would you imagine running a race and just kind of jogging along where everyone else is passing you? No, you run hard. You go all out and you try to win at everything you do. And it sounds simple, it's, It sounds, but we don't do that in our Christian walk. It is so easy to go to work and say, ho-hum. It's so easy to come home to the family and say, ho-hum. But that's not what it's about. God's telling us to go all out all the time, run in a way as to win the prize all the time. All the time at home, at work, at church, everything we do, Christ should just be poured out of us, and we should be doing everything we can to serve him with all of our hearts. I went right out of, uh, right after my junior year of college, I went to a church in Wichita. And I was the youth pastor, or an interim youth pastor, big, huge church, big, huge youth group, and we went to Mexico. For one week, we stayed in Tacati Mexico, and we stayed at a church camp. And they tried to attract people, people, kids from Mexico to come to this camp. Well, we went down to kind of clean the place up and make a sidewalk and put a floor in their church that was just a dirt floor. And I'm telling you, this place was just, you guys have been to it was just disgusting. It really was. And, and the people that even worked there weren't that clean. And it was just kind of a depressing atmosphere. But I'll tell you what, you got into church, and I didn't even understand what they were saying. And it was incredible. We had to listen through an interpreter. I mean, it would take something out of it, don't you think? It would. But it didn't. The Spirit of God was in that place. And these guys would sing, and you knew they meant it with all of their hearts. They didn't just go through the motions, it was awesome. It was an incredible experience. And I remember that next week coming back to that church in Wichita and sitting on a Sunday morning and they had their bell choir and they had their choir of a hundred and some people and they had their senior ministries and their youth ministries and every single ministry you could think of. But something was missing because they were just going through the motions. And they weren't a bad church. I'm not saying that. But so many of them were just going through the motions. You go down here to this little dirt floor church and God is there and it's an incredible experience and you come back where it should be, just an incredible experience with choirs and bell choirs and everything else you have and something was missing because we had experienced worship with God. We can't just go through the motions and expect to be winners for Christ day in and day out. The last thing that winners do as they make those around them winners. We talk about Michael Jordan. Okay? Michael Jordan, most of you have heard his name. Hopefully every one of you heard his name. He won 5 world championships with the Bulls. 5 NBA world championships with the Bulls. Now those around him were okay. Scottie Pippen was a decent player. Uh, Paxson. Was it Mark Paxson or I can't remember his name, Bill Cartwright, all these other guys that once he was gone, just kind of faded into the woodwork. But while he played with them, he raised their level of play to an incredible place. I mean, these guys were playing above their head because they were playing with Michael Jordan. And he does that wherever he goes. He raises the people. They see how he works. They see how he plays. And they're motivated by it. Have you ever been around a Christian that when you're around them, they're just bubbling over with Christ, and when you leave them, you think, wow, I want to be like that. Think about the early church. About, you read through Acts, and over and over it says, and thousands and three thousands were added to their numbers. And people were added to their numbers daily. People, These people were infectious. I mean, their love for Christ was just overwhelming, and people wanted to be like them. They wanted to have what they had because they were just bubbling over with Christ. And that is how we should be living our lives. But it's so easy in our society to just say, oh hum, oh hum. Kind of in conclusion, I just want to come back to the point that Christ did die for our sins. But the most incredible thing that he did was that he was victorious over death. He conquered death and made us more than conquerors. That is mind-boggling. This creator, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, loved us so much that not only did he die for us, but he rose for us so that we don't have to die again. We get to be with him. We get to stand before him in glory. I love to watch passion plays and, and listen to songs that sing about Christ's resurrection. There's so many of them. It's such a powerful thing to talk about. It's such a powerful moment in history that he conquered death and he raised from the dead for us for us so that we could be conquerors also so we don't have to be failures and sinners in this world but we can rise above it and we can be winners in Peter First Peter chapter 4 verse 11 it says if anyone speaks He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised. What an awesome way to live your life. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. With boldness and courage, I pray that we will go out in this world this week. I pray we won't go through the motions. That we will run this race with everything we have, and that people will want to be like us because Christ is in us. I'm going to end by reading my favorite hymn, I promise I won't sing it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than a riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway I would rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause I'd rather have Jesus than fortune or fame I'd rather be true to his holy name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that those here are as encouraged as I am by you. Lord, I see the ho humness of my life. And Lord, I don't want that. I want to strive to live my life every day for you. And I pray that as a church, we will not just go through the motions, but we will live for you. And Lord, I pray that those around us will see our boldness and our courage, and they will see you just bubbling over from us. And they will want to be like us, and they will want to have Christ like we have Christ. But I praise you that you won the ultimate victory for us. In your name we pray. Amen.